Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to episode 181 of Geek Town Radio. I'm back this week with Daryl. How are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very well, thanks. What have you been up to since we, we uh, actually saw each other in person for a rare brief appearance at Comic-Con last we week? We did, indeed. We have some crossover between the Midlands and the Essex <laughs> Massive. Yes. And that little get-together we call London MCM Comic-Con. Yes, yes. Um, but since then, um, we're doing lots of press coverage of that, which you can catch over on Hollywood News Source. Yeah. I have been indulging in some B-movie extraordinaire with Lake Placid Legacy, <laughs> which is a straight-to-TV sci-fi movie. It came out for Shark Week, so back in the summer. Okay. And is probably mostly notable for starring two stars of sci-fi, both from Winona Earp, Catherine Burrell, right. who is half of Way Hot for fans of Winona Earp. Yes. And Tim Roson, who plays Doc. Okay. You say he came out for Shark Week, uh, but but the, yeah. the basic thing for Lake Placid is a giant crocodile, isn't it? So Yes, but Sci-Fi <laughs> Shark Week is not quite the same as like, Discovery Channel Shark Week. Oh, they, okay. generally decide to, they generally like to hit you with, they have a pretty much a week of all sorts of shark and monster-related B-movies. They also had Deep Blue Sea 2, right. which is about super smart sharks. That, <laughs> of course. Perhaps that was more... Uh, thing but yeah it was a it's a simple b movie pretty straightforward pretty fun and uh, not more than that i've seen better i've seen worse it's good to see those two actors in sort of the other one on up it's yeah. an interesting change good um yep other than that the gifted has finally come back yes to uk shores and we've got uh, we've got a few episodes in to see the ongoing story of how one family deals with sort of the rising tide of mutants versus humans i've very realistic take on what it would be if the X-Men w- were real and in yes. the real world. Lots of um, political comparisons could be made to us yeah. now. And I think, I know I might be the minority, but I think the fact that it is sort of centered around this family really works in making people get really grabbed by the drama. I, I do like that show. I think they've they've done a really good job with it. You have some mutants you know and some mutants that have sort of connections to the X-Men, but yeah. not directly using any of the X-Men because they're sort of kept 
for the films. Although it's going to be interesting to see what happens with that once the uh, Disney Fox thing goes through and that sort of X-Men franchise is probably dead as we know it. So uh, I, I don't know what's going to happen when, when that all happens. Cause I the, hopefully, the... I don't think that's a change because I don't, there is no reason to change Gifted. It's not suffering from no. lack of X-Men. I think it really works in the idea of what happens when sort of the best ideal of what mutants are are gone. Yeah. I have been, and I've been heard from for years, what do you do? What happens in that vacuum? And as you watch for the episodes, you get to see exactly what happens in that vacuum. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so if you've got Fox, and I don't know how, if you haven't seen it already, how you would access the first season. I'm sure you could probably find it, you could probably buy it off Amazon. Yeah. But yeah, get those ep- get those episodes down, yeah? It's, it's yeah. a really great show, really compelling characters. Uh, I just think it's a, it's a really well-written show, and it continues to be so. Yeah. Plus, I mean, we've had the advantage that, that if they did want to tie it back into the wider x-men universe although they've always said it was it was sort of tangentially connected to the x-men universe we've never actually seen any of them so mm-hmm. not even in pictures so it, i mean you could still keep that show going even if they changed all the x-men movies and reintroduced them yeah. in the disney universe you could still keep that show Definitely, going um, especially as even with the, like the current X-Men universe is like set up to like the eighties yeah. and obviously gifted is very much, this is very much now. Yeah. So very much in the 20 somethings, because obviously they never give you um, details about the year in case they want to do a time jump. Yeah. yeah. That's really just getting started. The other thing that I've been watching is I watched the chilling adventures of Sabrina. Okay. Are, and, you, uh, are you all the way through that? Yes. I watched, I watched the whole thing. Okay. To hold my hand up as one of those people who, when I first started writing up all the stories about it, was thinking, I'm not sure this is a great idea mm. the actual execution of it amazing yeah i watched the first episode and then i had to do something else and then i think i came back and i watched the next four right okay and finished it over the course of about maybe four days or three days i watched the first two i think i i said last week i i found the first episode a little bit slow in places but really sort of picked up towards the end of it and then really got into it in the second episode i just haven't had time to go back to it yet but it is sort of next on my my list of things. There's just too much stuff around at the moment, and uh, and Comic Con and things got in the way. Yeah. But uh, I I did really enjoy that second episode, and uh, I'm looking forward to going back and watching the rest of it now. Yeah, there was a lot of setup, but it's definitely a case of only one episode yeah. that was slow. Yeah. So that was helpful. Yeah, I would recommend it to people. I think the only unfortunate thing I've seen from that is so many lazy articles about Sabrina does right, what Riverdale does wrong and all that sort of thing. Right. And, it yeah. come, and it's and that's not the case. Yeah. In fact, they do exactly the same thing. Yeah. And their first and Riverdale's first season compared to Sabrina, it's pretty much the same. They hit the same sort of notes. They have that nice typewriting. Everything stays interesting. The plot just pushes on. You're always interested to see what happens next. The only difference is that Riverdale has other seasons, and yeah. which didn't go as well. Yeah, and can't compare them because so many shows are great in their first season and then fall off a cliff in a, <laughs> yeah, in a second. True. Yeah, so I can only hope that with the two season order that they always know and have had yeah. since they've begun production, yeah. I'm hoping to see something different from Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah, though pessimists might argue given that they have almost exactly the same creative head and showrunner, 
why would it be any different? Well, we shall see. Yeah, we I mean, shall see. I, it's also kind of almost half the order of, you know, each season is sort of half the order of the Riverdale season because isn't the Riverdale 22 episodes and this is like yeah, after Yeah, after each, the first so. season, yeah, they opened it to the 20, yeah, which was a bad idea, but yeah. uh, so just for a whole other time. <laughs> so yeah, it, I think it is two, well, the first season was 10 episodes. Um, so I, I assume the second season is 10 episodes or one yeah. as well. Yeah. And perhaps it might open up for season three. Yeah, maybe. Um, after I've watched the whole season, it's left me with some questions which sort of come up after you've watched it and you sort of look at look at things and look at the setting and some things don't quite make sense. Right. That's sort, of, that sort of along the few and it's just, I think that's just a um, personal thing. Yeah. It's, it's just sort of questions about Sabrina and the way that she's set up. Right, okay. Which I think they don't do a good enough, they don't explain her motivations. And, okay. And I, for instance, how she spent sort of like the years before we come to see her. Right, okay. Which would help us understand it a little bit more. Yeah. And the last thing on my list is Marvel's Daredevil. Yeah, again, another one I haven't got to the end of yet, but I've got to go back and finish. I've just had too many other things. Finish it now. An excellent return to form. A Daredevil season that is actually about Daredevil. <laughs> and yeah. not some other interloper yes. taking precious time. Um, it's really good. I mean, it's got lots of kingpin. That's all you need. I mean, yeah. definitely and by far and away, the best Marvel villain across movies and TV. Yeah. Such a real menacing figure who you can understand his motivations and it makes sense when you see him on screen the way that unfortunately a lot of, especially with Marvel, who've always had a problem with villains. Yeah. Evan just need to somehow capture that, put it in a bowl and start spinning it around the rest of the, the rest of their products. I think they've they've got better with their villains over the years. I, I think Vincent D'Onofrio is just perfect as as kingpin uh i really like david tennant in the first season of uh, jessica jones and they also did a great job with thanos for the movie as well i thought um i liked (laughs) Uh, well i i thought they they did a good job Um, with thanos i don't know it was very hard to get much of an understanding about him but also because he's changed from the character i know in the comics so it's probably hard for me to accept um there a purple man yes but the, the problem with him is that he was just so overpowered it's no fun when the villain is just near unstoppable okay Kingpin is near unstoppable because he's smart. Yeah. man is unstoppable because you have to do everything he says. He has no worries. He also has no motivations other than amusing himself. Whereas we see, as you know from the first season, that the thing that motivates Wilson Fisk is his love for Vanessa. Yeah. He has skin in the game. Things could happen to Vanessa in a way that things wouldn't happen to the purple man. Yeah. So that's what I mean by having a compelling event. Someone who isn't so powerful as it's just ridiculous as you can't ever beat them. Mm. And someone who you can understand their motivations. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I yes, I, I don't know. I, I think David Tennant did a very good job in that role. And I think you needed somebody I, that was I fairly... He was he was generally creepy and disturbing, but I just felt he was so overpowered that it was hard. It was it's hard to accept him losing. It's hard to accept how he would come undone in a way that you can understand. I'd appreciate the steps that go into say Kingpin's downfall. Yeah, that you don't with uh, the Purple Man's downfall. But okay. that's just me. Okay, it's, it's definitely it's definitely it's definitely you know depends on you. Yeah. Well, my stuff this week, I've been watching a lot of Counterpart. I've now finished the first season of that, which is on the uh, Stars Play channel on Amazon. Is that um, one of the premium channels? That's one of the premium channels, yes, on Amazon. I think it's five ninety nine. There's a 
30 day free trial i think but it's 5.99 per month for for, for <laughs> that which is pricey but they do have some quite good stuff on there they've got mr mercedes on there counterparts on there the second season of counterpart is coming fairly soon i'm actually going to be talking to some of the stars of counterpart um Ooh, later this week right. so that's why i was sort of tried to finish the first season they actually sent me the first couple of episodes of the next season as well which obviously i'm not going to talk about because that's not out yet yeah. but um yeah, I thought the first season ended brilliantly. If you've not seen Counterpart, it's kind of like if you mixed something like an espionage drama like Homeland with a sci-fi drama like Fringe. <laughs> it's, it's, I watched a couple. I watched a couple of episodes. It's a really interesting mix of basically this idea of a parallel world has emerged, and there are differences between the two. But uh, there's a group which are sort of keeping it quiet and guard the gateway between each of the two worlds and it's very much plays out like an espionage drama between both the these worlds and uh stars jk simmons in the sort of leading role of uh this guy who ends up having to deal with his counterpart from the other side as uh there is a killer that has come across from their side to ours to take out a bunch of people i i really enjoyed the first season i thought it was really compelling so it continues that on through the second season as well thoroughly enjoyable uh, i think all new star shows are now going to go out on that on uh, yeah, star okay. play as well i think that's the plan so um definitely worth getting hold of stars play even if you only kind of put it on for a month or so so you can watch counterpart and maybe mr mercedes and then turn it turn it off for a bit while you wait for new things to come out i mean it, but it's it's worth doing definitely the other thing i watched was the first which is this um sean penn mars drama that started on channel four the first episode doesn't actually give a whole lot away it's basically you learn quite early on that Sean Penn was supposed to be the person that's leading this mission to Mars and for reasons unknown got benched and he's watching the Mars mission take off I don't want to give anything away but things don't quite go as planned let's say uh, for for that uh, and and it's sort of dealing with the aftermath of that the first episode really doesn't go much further than that so it's very hard to judge but um, it's a really interesting drama it seems to be quite well written very much the sort of thing you would like to see on channel four it's got that kind of slightly it's set in the future so the technology is recognizable but slightly more advanced than maybe what mm-hmm. most people have at the moment i think the production design and it's lovely there's they've done some really nice little jobs on on things but i, I will be watching a few more episodes and uh i i don't want to talk about it too much because it, as i say it's very difficult to judge from from that just that early thing the other big thing this week has been Red Dead Redemption 2, which uh, I, I've spent pretty much the whole weekend playing on and off. I'm probably about 25 hours into it now. I Ooh. think I'm about 30% through the main story. You see, that's why I've watched any Netflix shows. <laughs> yes, that's that's very true. I've been uh, Red Dead Redemption really has taken time away. I mean, I've actually got Fallout beta as well, and I've not even touched that. Uh, uh, I, saw, I saw a little bit, I saw a stream of that. Yeah. The Red Dead stuff has really just got hold of me at the moment. I it's just it's great fun. I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I've been fishing a bit. You can sit down with some old guys and play dominoes. Uh you can play poker, you can play blackjack, you can rob trains, you can rob carriages. 
you can uh, go hunting and I mean it's it's just open and you know to do whatever you want with and I'm having endless hours of fun just wandering around in that world so uh, I I would say it's definitely worth the money you're going to get your money's worth out of it I, I think and uh, also sticking with sort of gaming related stuff Netflix revealed their first look at Henry Cavill as Geralt from The Witcher it was a, a, a makeup test did you see the little video of this? I just saw the video I just, I just saw the pictures I mean the video doesn't really give away a huge amount it's the video is basically Henry walking towards the camera as Geralt and yeah. uh, you see what he looks like and then he drinks a potion bottle and that's it but it literally was the makeup test that they released which is, mm. is kind of rare but it shows you how much people are waiting for this show um he looks good i think i mean no beard in this but then Geralt doesn't always have a beard so i think that's fine i think he looks great though very much i can't comment I, i've never played the witcher so oh haven't you Oh, it's no. an awesome, awesome video game if you've never played it. The third one particularly is one of the best RPG games ever made. So uh, well worth playing. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think he looks great. And um, they also said the date of release will be 2019. And we originally thought it was probably going to be 2020, but uh, 2019, they've said, which I'm very happy about. So that's good. That's all the stuff we've been doing this week. Let's move on to some TV and film news. <laughs> So we start off the TV and film news with the renewals, cancellations and pickups as ever. We start off with uh, Divorce has been renewed for its third season. Not a show I ever watched. It's an HBO series, uh, but not, not sure. one that massively appealed to me. But uh, Saria Jessica Parker, I think, is the lead in that. But um, <laughs> renewed for its third season, that. Sky has renewed a discovery of witches for two more seasons apparently i have to say this first season i i've actually given up on at the moment i may go back to it but i was thinking i was thinking starting it this after i heard about that yeah it's well i haven't really heard anything about it outside of the fact that it's been renewed and the massive sort of uh, marketing push i've been seeing it's been doing very well in terms of numbers for sky it's slow though it's it's really plodding in its pace and and that's really starting to bug me so i've i'm about three or four episodes in but i'm i'm struggling with it purely for that reason if it's coming back for a couple more seasons which it obviously is i do hope they manage to speed it up a little bit because i i found the first season incredibly plodding so far i will try and go back to it but i'd be interested to know your thoughts just if you go watch a few episodes of it and tell me what you think but um yeah i found the first season very very plodding one big massive piece of news this week the BBC has signed a, a effectively carriage deal with the US network FX which will mean that all new FX scripted comedy and drama will be now on the BBC somewhere we don't know exactly where yet but it will be on the BBC somewhere but that does mean it will now be the home for Pose the new Rowan Murphy drama Mayans mm-hmm. MC the uh, Kurt Sutter follow-on from Sunday of Anarchy, which I'm very, very much looking forward to. Those two are definitely confirmed. There is a new drama related to director, choreographer and dancer Bob Fosse, which is untitled at the moment, but there is that in the works. That's that's supposed to be coming. Uh, Devs, which is the uh, new eight-part Alex Garland show, which is a sci-fi series, which 
that looks like it's going to be uh, really good. So there's that one coming. What we do in the shadows, which is Takita Wakiti's, uh, that's the Thor Ragnarok director. That's from mm. him, um, which is a new vampire drama. And uh, well, it says it's it's, uh, it's not a drama actually. I think it's a comedy. It's about uh, three vampires who have been roommates for hundreds and hundreds of years, trying to cope in the modern world. Wasn't there wasn't there a British show like that that had the guys from um, Friday Concords in it? I don't know. There may have been, but um, so that's what we do in the shadows. Better things we've got coming, which is a uh, comedy about a uh, girl who is a single working actor with no filters raising her three daughters, and then uh, Mrs. America which is new show with Kate Blanchett. True story of the movement to ratify the Equal Rights Amendment. So um, it's a very interesting deal for the BBC to do this because usually with these sort of carriage deals, at the moment, the big person that's been doing it has been Sky Atlantic. Mm -hmm. It's quite interesting that this deal's gone to the BBC. You would have thought that Sky would be the obvious people to pick this up, but apparently the BBC have decided it's worth the money. So... I mean, they have been running quite a lot of those shows already from FX, like The Assassination of Johnny Versace, Atlanta, Trust, uh, Snowfall. They're all FX shows. Uh, People vs. OJ, uh, Taboo was co-created with FX as well. So, I mean, it makes sense, I think, for them to pick it up. But I, I'm just very happy that uh, we they now have a home in the UK for Mayans. Where they'll actually end up, we don't know. It could be BBC One, could be BBC Two. It could be that they create an iPlayer channel for it and they all go up on there. Uh, don't know at the moment well we're waiting to see what happens with those but uh, hopefully the ones that have least been out like pose and mayans come fairly soon but we don't know yet oh yeah this was another one i wanted to mention on the bbc uh peter jackson's they shall not grow old uh this is this movie that he's created which takes a bunch of old world war footage and, ah yeah the colorized stuff yeah and i mean it's it's not only sort of colorized it's colorized cleaned they've then used voices of real life veterans because obviously a lot of it was silent so voices of real life veterans actors and stuff and put new sound over it so you get to hear them kind of chatting backwards and forwards and they've sort of done lip reading stuff on it so you can tell what they're saying and then give them scripts to people so they can they can kind of fill out the script i mean it's it's a phenomenal, phenomenal piece of work. There, are, It's been out in cinemas on a sort of limited release and there are a few people that have seen it and says it's one of the best films they've seen this year. I, I'm really, really looking forward to seeing that. It's out on Sunday, the 11th of November at 9.30 on BBC Two. So I would urge everybody to go and watch that because I think it's going to be really, really interesting. Another order that came through, Showtime have picked up a Penny Dreadful continuation series or spin-off series. It's described as the spiritual descendant of the Penny Dreadful story. It's called Penny Dreadful City of Angels, which moves everything from Victorian London to 1938 Los Angeles in a time and place deeply infused with Mexican-American folklore and social tension. So there's a lot of your sort of voodoo-y kind of stuff aligned with the devil and all, an occult myth and all that kind of thing going on with it which is an interesting kind of direction to to take it given how sort of british feeling the first season was to sort of move it into that kind of area uh same group behind it same writers same creator not one that i expected to come back 
really penny dreadful i don't know whether you watched any of the first i did watch a few episodes maybe three or four but i just it just felt too plodding for me yeah and it just it just felt all over the place sort of shoehorning all those different legends into one show just it was too much for me so i just sort of um, stopped watching i know that it's like a critical darling and stuff but yeah yeah just didn't work for me i kind of gave up on it after i think i watched the first couple of seasons and uh, it just didn't really grab me for the third season and and then they cancelled it so I was like well I'm not going to bother so yeah I'm told it didn't end particularly well so maybe this will help satisfy some people but I don't know it'll be interesting to see what happens with that moving on to some bigger news stories Naomi Watts and Josh Whitehouse have been cast in the Game of Thrones prequel, which now also appears to have a name called The Long Night. This is the prequel for Game of Thrones from Jane Goldman, the woman behind Kingsman, Kick-Ass, X-Men, First Class and wife of Jonathan Ross. She is the person that's going to be showrunner and is the main writer on this. The story was concocted together with George R. R. Martin, it's set thousands of years before the events of Game of Thrones, so don't expect to see any familiar characters in it. Chronicles the world's descent from the golden age of heroes into its darkest hour. One thing's for sure, from the horrifying secrets of Westeros' history to the true origins of the White Walkers, the Mysteries of the East, the Stark legend, it's not the story we think we know. So it sounds like there's going to be some retrofitting of things that we've been told as mm. historical fact in Game of Thrones, and mm. they're, they're sort of going back and going to be altering some of that but you know it's all done with George R. R. Martin's involvement so I think maybe that was his plan all along we don't know but uh, I don't know it's going to be interesting they've not announced any of the characters other than Naomi Watts will be playing a charismatic socialite hiding a dark secret secret yeah uh, yeah read that a couple of times this week yes that's yeah retcons I'm not a big fan especially things that are books kind of drives me nuts to be honest I'll put it this way it's not something that I'm putting down in my calendar and keenly are waiting for <laughs> to be honest I don't know I mean it's going to be difficult because we haven't had the final season of Game of Thrones yet assuming that ends well there is obviously going to be a clamouring for more Game of Thrones related stuff we don't even know whether this is the thing that's going to go all the way I mean it's the first thing out of the five scripts that they had written it's the first one that they're trying to pilot um, yeah. So it may not get a full series. We don't know. George has actually said that some of the others are still in development as well. So whether that means they're going to do multiple spin offs or whether that's just them hedging their bets just in case this one doesn't work, they want to make sure that some of the other pilot scripts are up to scratch. You know, if they want to make them, I, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's likely. To probably not be until 2020 before we see this, because given that we've got Game of Thrones coming back next year, I doubt they're going to want to put this out next year. It's more like... Yeah, I think we'd be lucky if we get in 2020. Yeah. Because it is a pilot, so... So they've got to shoot the pilot, yeah. Do we know where they're going? Are they all automatically going to HBO or are they going elsewhere? Oh, they're they're all HBO. They're all HBO commissioned. HBO commissioned all the pilots, so they will be all HBO shows, so Sky Atlantic shows over here. So it will be the same level of quality. It's not got the same guys behind it. As I say, Jane Goldman is going to be the showrunner for this one if it moves forward but that is by in no way a guarantee at the moment it may fall to bits and they decide to pilot one of the others we don't know yet but um interesting i think that uh, we're seeing some movement on that another book adaptation 
coming as well ish it's not they a direct keep, they keep on coming yes it, it's a vague book adaptation uh bbc america's greenlit a show called the watch which is a new series based on sir terry pratchett's popular and beloved Discworld novels oh yeah it's inspired by the uh, legendary city watch which is a sort of subset of the Discworld novels i i don't know whether they've ever actually been individually in their own novel or, or i don't oh. think they have i think they've just been throughout the Discworld novels apologies to pratchett's friend i do like terry pratchett i just i've i'm not that up on on the whole novel series because there are quite a lot of them so the watch is described as a punk rock thriller inspired by the legends of the city watch this disruptive character driven thriller centers on terry pratchett's misfit cops as they fight to save a ramshackled city of normalized wrongness from both past and future in a perilous quest modern inclusive the watch will feature many famous Discworld creations including the city watch captain sam vimes the the last scion of nobility, Lady Sybil Ramkin, uh, the naive but heretic Carrot, the mysterious Angua, and the ingenious non-binary forensic expert Cheery, together with Terry Pratchett's iconic characterisation of death. So yes, eclectic mix of cast there. Uh, it's been written by Simon Allen, who has uh, written The Musketeers, Das Boots and New Tricks, co-produced with Navitaria and BBC Studios. I mean, I'm always happy to see Terry Pratchett adaptations hit tv it's basically the same team that doing the good omens adaptation for amazon prime you know and we've got that coming i think early next year it's quite a good time for being a terry pratchett fan i think and uh lastly we have ewan mcgregor joining birds of prey movie as black mask this is the upcoming dcu birds of prey movie if you don't know black mask he's a really fun villain uh roman sionis is the real name of black mask birds of prey movie is the one that stars margaret robbie back as harley quinn uh, it's got mary elizabeth winstead as huntress uh journey smollett bell as black canary uh Rosie Perez also joins the cast as Rini Montoya. I mean, we know the DC universe is a mess at the moment. We've talked about this, but I don't know. I'm quite looking forward to seeing what they do with this. I think Ewan McGregor's a really interesting choice because you don't see him play villainous characters very much, you, mm. usually. So I think True. this is kind of an interesting choice for Black Mask. Do you know much about Black Mask? No, not not much. I've done some reading, but I've never sort of read a comic that he's been in. There's been various characterizations of him. The basic backstory of of him is he was a young lad who grew up to very uncaring and very self-absorbed parents who cared more about their social status than their own son. They would mingle with other prominent Gotham families, including the Waynes, despite utter disdain for like the other socialite classes. It was this sort of hypocrisy of this social masks that his parents wore that drew Roman towards physical masks. As he sort of gets older, he falls in love with a girl. His parents reject the girl because she's the wrong status and not right for him and force him to break up with her this is sort of one of the final straws he ends up killing his parents and burning their mansion down she ends up breaking up with him after he takes over his parents cosmetics company and uh, one of the cosmetics ends up disfiguring a bunch of women because it isn't tested properly so she ends up breaking up with him after realizing sort of all the horrible things he's done in despair he breaks into his parents tomb and his parents' tomb is is made out of ebony material and he ends up sort of smashing off a piece of the ebony material and carving a mask out of it and that's the sort of black mask that he wears. What I rather like about some of the characterizations of Black Mask is he, he tends to be 
an incredibly intelligent person that sur- surrounds himself by idiots quite a lot of the time. And he's sort of, there's a sort of logging despair of everybody around him. And he has that sort of air of, of everybody else who's beneath him. He's a, a really interesting villain. So I, I don't know exactly what direction they're going to go with him on this, but I'm quite excited to see Ewan McGregor do this kind of role. One of the reasons he's doing this role is because uh, he's previously worked with Mary Elizabeth Winstead on Fargo season three. They then started dating. So I, she sort of roped in her boyfriend to, to, to get the role in this, which I thought was interesting. But um, it's going to be interesting seeing him doing sort of more villainous roles. So I'm quite looking forward to that. I mean, I, I know, as I say, the DCU is a complete mess at this point, and I hope they manage to to sort it out but uh, I think this is kind of interesting yeah I'll be interested in seeing the Birds of Prey film yeah. it's a little bit more up my alley than that which we will not speak about <laughs> well that could be any of them <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> so true, so true. Hopefully this will help get it back on track, but we'll we'll see. It's been directed by Kathy Yan and is due to arrive in cinemas in 2020. So there is a bit of a wait for Birds of Prey. So we'll have to wait and see. So uh, that's all the news for this week. We'll move on to the interview. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. The interview this week is with XB52 band member and uh, the good cop composer Pat Irwin. Pat was a member of the B52s for over 20 years. You will know the B52s most probably from their hit Love Shack, which he can be seen in the background playing the keyboard in the video. He is also the composer of shows such as Rocco's Modern Life, the classic 90s cartoon series he composed for oh my god that show was insane (laughs) yeah uh composed for the jackie as well amc's feed the beast uh his latest thing that he's been composing for is uh the good cop which is the netflix show starring tony danza and josh groban he's also doing a a film version of rocco's modern life which uh they're doing for nickelodeon that called rocco's modern life static cling so we talk a bit about sort of his work on rocco's modern life also about the music for the good cop and uh uh, various other things he's worked on. Here's the interview with Pat Irwin. We'll, we'll see you afterwards with some highlights for next week on TV. Thank you for coming on and uh, spending a little bit of time to talk to me about your work. Well, thanks for having me. You're very welcome. I've been watching some of The Good Cop, which I know is the show you're working on at the moment uh, or have recently been working on, which uh, is, is great fun. It's it's kind of an oddity for a Netflix show. It's it feels more like a network show than it does a Netflix show. Not that that's a, a criticism in any way. I just it's normally what you expect from Netflix. So it's quite nice. It's an interesting change from the normal Netflix output. Well, that was the intention from the get go. Um, yeah. The the creator Andy Breckman said that right out to me right away, and I don't think I got it 
right away. <laughs> but I knew that he didn't want to make The Sopranos and I knew that he didn't want to do Breaking Bad. Yeah. I wanted to do something that you could watch with your kids or your parents. Yeah. And he also wanted each one to be self-contained. He didn't want it to be something that you watched incrementally and you had to hold on and keep watching and watching and watching. You could you could just sort of take it in at that moment. And it's a throwback to that. Yeah. And even the font is a throwback and and the vibe, the acting is a throwback, but not completely. He's a pretty impressive guy, Andy Bruckman. And his show, I, this is a direct you know, line from Monk to the Good Cop. And um, I think I'm still learning things about it as it goes along. <laughs> Yeah. So how did you get involved with it? Well, there are not that many people in New York doing this. Right. First of all, it's yeah. a fairly small community. And I had worked with the producer and the music supervisor on Nurse Jackie, as well as Bored to Death. Ah, yeah. And they recommended me. But that doesn't mean I got the job. <laughs> uh, they just recommended me. So I don't really know who else was in the air, but um, it definitely came from, you know, working on Border Death and Nurse Jackie. It's a really interesting music as, as well for that show. It's sort of very bluesy, kind of jazzy feel to it. It's very piano-led. I'm, I'm so used to talking to people and there's like loads of electronics or there's like a huge orchestra involved or something. And it's it's quite nice hearing a show which is it's kind of pared down to, to it seems like a, a small group of, of instruments that you're using for that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, Andy wanted piano. Yeah. And so that was the direction. And then a little more direction came out. He mentioned the movie The Firm. And right. then uh, he mentioned one song by Dave Brubeck, which kind of opened a window because of the percussion on that. And that's Unsquare Dance, which came after Take Five. I think that was the record after Take Five. Right. And um, I kind of just took that and made it what it was, you know, took it for what it was. And I tried to listen to the firm, the soundtrack from that. You know, this is this is something that composer, film composers have to deal with all the time. There's a temp score yeah. or temp direction. And I like it. I like that challenge. I like finding a way to communicate with the director about the temp score. You know, so I took that direction and as it went along, I knew that I had to expand the sound from solo piano to something else. I just needed more variety. And then I started to latch on to my childhood of cop shows, right. whether whether it was, I don't know, you know, I didn't I didn't grow up with Peter Gunn, but I certainly knew that theme. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Lalo Schifrin, like Mission Impossible and that kind of small band sound. You know, the band is small because of practical reasons. Yeah. Uh, I could overdub sample orchestra sounds, I suppose, and it would probably work. But I just didn't want to do that. I wanted to have a live band and that band is killing. They are on another level. I have always wanted to work with the drummer, Kenny Wollison, and the bass player, Tony Shear. And I know them from all sorts of different musicians, from John Zorn to Bill Frizzell to Tom Waits, just on and on. I've been a fan of those guys. So working with them was a big deal to me. The piano player, John Coward, is also on another level. He is in a group with Brian Blake called the Brian Blade Fellowship. He plays with Roseanne Cash and has worked with Joni Mitchell. He's also a master. The Vibes player is a guy that I've worked with a lot on not only Rocco's Modern Life, but Nurse Jackie and Bored to Death. So he he was my, 
a guy I knew and we had a good relationship. But that was a big deal to me to prepare the music every week for musicians on that level. And, you know, sometimes we subbed it out to another drummer named Dan Reeser or Danny Fox on piano, Rob Jost on bass. These, these are really great guys. And it was a challenge for me to make music that was challenging for them. <laughs> and yeah. But yet worked for the show. I mean, that's the bottom line. It had to be a soundtrack for the show. So anyway, it, it, it was a great a great experience for me. And um, all I want to do is more. That's all I <laughs> say yeah i mean i i really really like the sound like you say it does have that kind of almost old school cop show feel to it which is lovely and it's it's just very different from what you would normally hear for a lot of those kind of procedural shows so you know <laughs> that i really like about it it's uh it's a really interesting sound for it it's a it's a lovely series it's a really interesting little show Mm -hmm. um, just going little uh, back a little bit, you've been in various different bands, obviously, o over the years. You've kind of founded two bands. You're in the B-52s. You've just come back off tour as well, haven't you? You're playing yeah. with uh, Pipe Out. Mm -hmm. Uh, so when did you decide or, or maybe realize that, that music was going to be your career? I have been playing music professionally for a long time Yeah, in this country since grade school <laughs> and high school. Uh, I would sneak out of the house to play in bars and taverns, <laughs> but it was not encouraged at yeah. home. I didn't study it. So by the time I was out of college or university in my and I even spent some time going to school in London. Right. In the in 1977. And then after college, I had a research grant and lived in Paris. Right. And I, yeah, it, it was a big deal. My topic, I suppose, is how it, my project was to investigate American expatriate jazz musicians. <laughs> the jazz scene and it's a cool subject yeah. and it should be investigated someday but i did, didn't take long for me to figure out that this wasn't my thing i was not going to be a writer i wasn't really that invested in it yeah but what was happening is i was meeting full-time committed musicians for the first time in my life professionals because i hadn't gone to school so i hadn't I didn't know any during school. Mm. And um, eventually I was directed towards the composer, John Cage. And <laughs> wow. yeah, and I and I was able to study with him and work and perform with him. And I had never, ever worked with anybody probably before or since, to be honest with you, with that much conviction. Yeah. And it just bubbled up inside of me. I'm not kidding. And I just all I wanted to do and this would have been 1978, would be to get back to New York City and play either CBGB's or Max's Kansas City. <laughs> and from there, it just kind of took off. I got involved with some really great bands very early on and became friends with the B-52s at that time and also had the opportunity to work on some films. And uh, it's just sort of unfolded ever since. I mean, I don't suppose you've ever really transitioned from being a sort of touring musician to being a composer. You're very much both because, as I say, you've just come back off tour anyway. So I'm surprised you're managing to find the time to do like both of the things. That's that's really quite impressive. Ah, thanks. <laughs> I, it's just all sort of been that way. Yeah. Uh, 
I was working on the cartoons, my the first couple cartoons that I scored, and I was on the road with the B-52s. And I still have <laughs> enormous road cases where the television and my synthesizers and the computer, everything would fit in them. And every night, the crew would have to take these big, huge cases off the bus and put them up to my, my room. And I'd work all night. And, uh, you know, there were some deadlines in there that got pretty crazy. Yeah. But, you know, it's just it's sort of the way I've done it. Uh, <laughs> and I like how they feed each other. Yeah. Uh, and to be honest with you, I don't know that I could do it any differently. <laughs> That's crazy, given what TV deadlines I know TV deadlines particularly if it composers can be absolutely horrendous. So that's nuts. You <laughs> doing that on the road. Yeah, it, I, it, it was nuts. You know, I didn't actually get any extra credit for it. There would be <laughs> there would be times where I would just almost be in tears. I just, you know, I can imagine. Like, oh, God, I'm going to die. I can't. Yeah. You know, particularly when it came to like revisions mm. uh, and you've got to be able to do the revisions. You just have to be able to do them. But I also had a lot of people on my side, you know, uh, helping me. Uh, you know, I would get I would fly to L.A. to do one of the cartoons and they they were really patient with me. I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> At first, I thought I was going to get fired every time I went in the room to do a session. <laughs> I know that I'm not like a normal Hollywood L.A. type composer. Yeah. yeah. And. At times, when I was younger, I didn't understand that. I was like, well, shoot, I can do that. Let me do that. I can do that. Why not? Why? You know, I'll do it. And um, and now I realize that I am who I am. Yeah. It, it just is what it's going to be. So when a gig like when a job like the good cop comes my way, it's pretty precious. And uh, I, I recognize it as that. Like yeah. it's. I'm, I'm I'm very fortunate. As well as the go kart, the other thing which you've uh, you've got coming up, the the return to Rocco's modern life again, which is what 22 years I think since the series was on. Is and that you, it? Wow. You, yeah. Hey. Well, 96 it went off air, so yeah, 20 22 years. That's wow. crazy. Um, you're coming back. Nickelodeon are doing a like a, a movie version of it, aren't they? So how is it coming back to that show after such a long period of time away from it? Well, I knew that it was going to be hard. Yeah. And I don't know why I'm leading with that first, but, <laughs> you know, I've done enough that I know that it wasn't going to be relaxing. Yeah. What was a shock to me is Nickelodeon did not have a record of any of the music from Rocco's Modern Life. <laughs> really? They didn't have any archives. That's crazy. But I did. Yeah. And so I sent, I got it digitized, sent it to them, and they began to put it into the the drawings, into the animatics and the animation as a temp score. That was helpful. Yeah. So I, I knew the vocabulary and it came back to me pretty quickly. I used the same musicians. So that made it like a family reunion. Yeah. And I don't know, it, it just, it was sort of like, hold on. It was like being inside an engine. It, it was, it was, it was a blast though. The musicians were really cool. Same guys that I worked with before, except for uh, one drummer who played on the good cop as well. Right. A guy named Dan Reeser, who is one of my favorite musicians. He, um, he played drums on one of the sessions. So I, I, I kind of knew it was going to be intense Mm. That music is like a license to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. 
just it's it's out there and i'm not the same person i was 22 years ago mm. it just for some reason it wasn't that hard for me to kind of recall that vocabulary and use some of the same themes that was fun that was one mandate from joe is like well no he said do you want to are you gonna do it and i said well yeah you know if you'll have me i'll do it and then and then he said do you want to use the same musicians and i said yes and are you going to use the same themes and i said yes and that was actually the only conversation we had <laughs> Oh dear, that's that's crazy. I mean, I have to say the the music for that show. I mean, I'm 43 now, so I was sort of early 20s when that was on air, and I don't remember a whole lot about the actual animation and the cartoon itself. I mean, I I remember what it looked like. I just don't remember much about the actual show. I do remember that theme tune unquestionably the theme tune is the thing that really sticks in my head so you're obviously doing something right the first time right well thanks <laughs> i mean let me tell you that band that's another band that i would rave about i mean the trombone player is the last living guy to have been in the duke ellington orchestra oh wow yeah that's nuts and the, the drummer was with anthony braxton and john zorn <laughs> the, the clarinet player played with a guy named don byron who had done a record when i was first starting Rocco. he was uh with don byron who had just done a record called bug music which played the music of um raymond scott uh, right it's a really good record so I had some amazing musicians. And then there were other guys, musicians. I got a bagpipe player on one episode. <laughs> the banjo player, Tony Trishka, played on one. Various violin players, an accordion player named Rochelle Garnier. You know, it was supplemented. But I had the same core group. And it was kind of that trombone player raised the level up to a pretty amazing spot. And I would look at him, he would bring in his mutes and I would think, oh my God, he used that equipment with Duke Ellington. <laughs> and, um, and he's yeah. a pretty legendary guy. It's a great, great music. I can't believe Nickelodeon didn't have a copy of it. That's, that's insane. For you, is there any difference in composing for live action versus composing animation? Yes. In animation, you're a lot closer to the picture. You get really close there. I mean, Mickey, it's called Mickey Mousing for a reason. You know, you're, you're, you're literally just playing right up in there to the action. And I even look at it like sometimes I'm inside the drawings. <laughs> I really want to get to know those drawings. And when I worked on it first, Joe Murray and I had some really memorable conversations about the colors. There's no straight angles in the drawings. There's no 90 degree angles. There are no straight lines. It's almost like a glass of water is completely filled and overflowing all the time. It's just constant over. Yeah. Again, I had a small band for practical reasons, economic reasons, but I also wanted it live. I wanted it to be live. I think that's why you're talking about it. I think it has that kind of sparkle, that energy. When yeah. you do when you do film or in the case of the good cop television, you, you put yourself back a little further. And it's hard to imagine sometimes after doing animation where you're so close to the picture, but you need to put yourself back in a different place. There's more distance between you and the image. And that's really how I would describe it. I can see what you're saying with that. I mean, music's important in both, but I guess with the animation, it's, it's so much more intertwined with everything that's going on on screen, I guess. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Except it's not that simple. <laughs> but it's as simple as that. And there's a really, there was an article I once read in the New Yorker by the writer Alex Ross, who it was an interview, I believe, with Philip Glass. 
And it was Philip who said that's part of the job as a film composer is to accurately judge the distance between the the composer and the image. Mm -hmm. And that just stuck with me. And it serves me well. You know, it's very basic, but uh, hits it. Yeah, really get that. Um, What would you say has been the most interesting experience you've had in your career? I've had some glory. I mean, playing with the B-52s in Central Park in front of the largest crowd ever to be in Central Park. Wow. That's pretty cool. And then that same weekend, we played Radio City Music Hall. But working on Rocco's Modern Life was is a real high point. I mean, that every week for years, you know, and then, you know, we take breaks and then it would pick up again. But it, it was just like I waited for the next one. It was like being on a sports team or, or a kid, you know, at the playground and you're going, give me the ball. I want the <laughs> ball. I want to play. And that's really all I wanted to do. But I've had some pretty cool experiences. I mean, you know, being in a band with Lydia Lunch, that's kind of fun. Yeah. The Ray Beats, a band I was in, actually got to do a recording with Philip Glass. Wow. Working with John Cage is unforgettable. Mm. You know, I've had some pretty, pretty nice high points. <laughs> yeah, they seem pretty high, I would say. That's, that's very cool. Yeah. Last couple of questions. We always ask people whenever they, they come on. First one is, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Oh, well, I like the show Glow. Right, yeah, the Netflix series. Yeah. yeah. And I don't have time to get invested into too many shows. Yeah. Glow is one of them. I liked Ozark. Yes. You know, and I need to get caught up on that. And so if you if you if your question is what I'm watching now, the answer would be Glow. You get brownie points for picking Netflix shows, I think, off <laughs> from oh. your... <laughs> <laughs> That didn't even occur to me. Well, it's funny how that works, right? Yeah. What do you expect? I can turn it up get him when I want. Yeah. I can I can stream them when I want. I mean, it's... Not uncommon, not uncommon for, for people in your industry to go for Netflix shows because they're convenience, you know. Um, and uh, the last question will be, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present or future, not one that you've previously worked on, which show would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> this always stops people. Um, I've mentioned Peter Gunn. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah. Which Lalo Schifrin did. But, you know, in contemporary shows, you know, Breaking Bad or The Sopranos, even Mad Men, you know, just those. I love the show Girls. Oh, yeah. yeah. HBO. And to be honest with you, I'd be pretty hard pressed to say that I would be, you know, I love the music for that show. I think that composer, Michael Penn, did a great job, inspiring job on that. I like the music for Transparent. So, you know, those are those are shows that resonate with me. That's very cool. Well, thank you for, for giving up a bit of your time. I'd be very happy to have you on. Looking forward to I haven't finished The Good Cup yet, so I'm looking forward to finishing the rest of the first season. I hope it gets picked up again. It'd be great to have it back. I, I do too. And then and then we can chat more. Let's see where it goes. The music. I mean, the music kind of gets better as it goes along. So I'd be curious to hear your opinions on it. I got into a, a vibe where I understood that the humor on that show was kind of taking care of itself, but it was the mystery and the drama that I needed to really work on and that that got fun that was cool <laughs> I'll listen out for that as, it, as I go through the I think I'm about halfway through so when I go through the rest of the episodes I'll, I shall listen out for it cool um, all right what uh, you've got anything else coming up that you you want to mention I mean I have this band I have a couple bands in the works a PI power trio which 
we, we just had a ball with Nick Lowe. He's really something else. And I had this other band called Sus, which is spelled S-U-S-S. And you can find us wherever you stream music, both of them. Yeah. And Sus is making a new record right now. So that's kind of what I'm working on, both of those bands. It's very cool. Very cool music. Thank yeah, thank you. Awesome. Well, I'll, I'll let you get back to your day. Thank you for coming on. It's been lovely and to have you. Thank you for having me. We'll talk again. Yes, yes, we will. Do it soon. So that was the interview with Pat Irwin. Hope you enjoyed that. You can find The Good Cop on Netflix, the Rocco's Modern Life film. Not entirely sure whether that's coming out, but uh, I look out for it on the Nick TV channel. Next, we have some highlights for next week on TV. <laughs> So, highlights for next week on TV. We have a, a number of shows still returning. It's uh, it's still in that period where we've got returning things coming back. The Russell Howard Hour is back for its second season. That's on Sky One on the 8th of November at 10pm. I really like the first season of that. It's basically Russell Howard's good news, but uh, without the kind of good news bit at the end, pretty much. It's almost exactly the same show. Very funny. Well worth watching. That's on Sky One, 8th of November at 10pm. Young Sheldon is back for its second season. That's on the 8th of November at 8.30pm, the Big Bang spin-off. Um, I'm glad they've not kind of waited for this. They're, they've decided to show it early, which I'm I'm very happy about. That's good that that's back. Patriot season two of that is uh, returning to Amazon Prime. That's on the 9th of November. That comes back. The Sinner season two of that comes to Netflix. That's on the 9th of November. That comes back. Uh, Mars, which is the other Mars show that isn't the first. That's uh, coming to National <laughs> Geographic. <laughs> that uh, comes to National Geographic on the 11th of November. I love the first season of this. It was really interesting. They they basically take documentary real life kind of footage of of stuff that's happening now with attempts to sort of build rockets and stuff to get to Mars and mix it in with a narrative drama, which is, is the first sort of people landing and setting up life on Mars. So it's a really sort of interesting National Geographic kind of thing of, of this sort of real life stuff mixed with a fictional drama. I really enjoyed it. But uh, 11th November, I'm not sure on a time for that yet, but it'll be kind of nine. 10 p.m. But uh, that's on National Geographic, Mars season two. Well worth going to watch that. Really good. Then Blindspot, season four of that, um, coming to Sky Witness on the 11th of November at 10 p.m., which is Sullivan Stapleton, Jamie Alexander, back with various tattoos and uh, various ways of solving tattoos. That returns to uh, Sky Witness on 11th of November at 10 p.m. So uh, that's everything this week, unless you've got anything else you want to add in. That's all. So where can you find Daryl? You can find Daryl on Twitter at Shaftsword, which is S-H-A-F-T-S-W-O-R-D or you can find me writing on HollywoodNewsSource.com doing news there. Head over to Starry Mag and if you're a fan of The Gifted, you can get my recaps there. So if for whatever reason you can't watch one of the episodes or you want to go back over the facts of the matter before seeing the new one, you can go there and find them. So go and check Daryl out there. For us, you can visit the website at geektown.co.uk throughout the week to see the, all the latest air date info want to get in touch with your questions and comments email us on podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown on instagram at geektown uk and don't forget you can find us on spotify now just search for geektown radio on spotify we shall come up that's everything we shall see you next week bye bye bye
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.